Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories to the assembled devotees. Hare Krishna. All glories, all glories, all glories to Shishi Guru Gauranga. Jai Shri Prabhupada. Okay. Hare Krishna, everybody. I'm just fiddling with this thing. Uh, anyway. Hare. We have several devotees online. Jai. So. Um, we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're on Canto 4, Chapter 7, Text 28. Uh, we also skipped Text 22, so I'll just read through that also, and then we can do 28, which has a purport and a word for word for that. So looking at 22, just for the sake of completeness. As soon as Lord Vishnu was visible, all the demigods, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, the Gandharvas, and all present there, immediately offered their respectful obeisances by falling down straight before him. Short purport by Srila Prabhupada, it appears that Lord Vishnu is the Supreme Lord even of Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma, what to speak of the demigods, Gandharvas, and ordinary living entities. It is stated in a prayer, Yam Brahma Varunendra Rudra Maruta, all the demigods worship Lord Vishnu. Similarly, yogis concentrate their minds on the form of Lord Vishnu. Thus, Lord Vishnu is worshipable by all demigods, all Gandharvas, and even Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma. Vishnu is therefore the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Even though Lord Shiva was previously referred to in prayers by Lord Brahma as the Supreme, when Lord Vishnu appeared, Shiva also felt, felt prostrated before him to offer respectful obeisances. And today's verse. So we'll do the word for word. Sadasya Uchuhu. Sorry. Utpati. Utpati. Adhvane. Asharane. Asharane. Uru. Uru. Klesha. Oops, I should, we should assume the English word too. <laughs> All right, anyway, starting again. Sadasya. The members of the assembly. The members of the assembly. Uchuhu. Uchuhu. Said. Said. Utpati. Utpati. Repeated birth and death. 
Repeated birth and death. Adhane. On the path of. On the path of. Asharane. Asharane. Not having a place to take shelter. Not, not having a place to take shelter. Uru. Uru. Great. Great. Klesha. Troublesome. Troublesome. Durge. Durge. In the formidable fort. In the formidable fort. Antaka. Antaka. Termination. Termination. Ugra. Ugra. Ferocious. Viala. Viala. Snakes. Snakes. Anvishte. Anvishte. Being infested with. Being infested with. Vishaya. Vishaya. Material happiness. Material happiness. Murugatrushi. Murugatrushi. Mirage. Atma. Atma. Body. Body. Geha. Geha. Home. Home. Uru. Uru. Heavy. Heavy. Bharaha. Bharaha. Burden. Burden. Dvandva. Dvandva. Dual. Dual. Shvabhe. Holes. Holes. Ditches of so-called happiness and distress. Ditches of so-called happiness and distress. Color. Color. Ferocious. Ferocious. Mriga. Mriga. Animals. Animals. Baye. Baye. Being afraid of. Being afraid of. Shokadavi. Shokadavi. The forest fire of lamentation. The forest fire of lamentation. Agnya Saartaha. Agnya Saartaha. For the interest of the rascals. For the interest of the rascals. Pad Okaha. Pad Okaha. Shelter of your lotus feet. Shelter of your lotus feet. Te. Unto you. Unto you. Sharanada. Sharanada. Giving shelter. Giving shelter. Kada. Kada. When. When. Yati. Yati. Went. Went. Kama upasrishtaha. Kama upasrishtaha. Being afflicted by all sorts of desires. Okay, so the verse is in a strange meter. Um, it's longer than the Brahma Samhita. It's shorter than the Sadhya Swami Ashtakam. It's not the Nityanam Ashtakam, so I don't really have a melody for it. I'll just chant it. If anyone wants to chant it afterwards, that's okay. If not, that's also okay. Sarasya uchuhu utpatitvanya sharana uruklesh durkhen takogra vyalan vishre vishre mirgatrishyatma geho rubharah any brave soul? Okay, no problem. So, translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. The members of the assembly address the Lord. O oh, exclusive shelter for all who are situated in troubled life. In this formidable fort of conditional existence, the time element like a snake is always looking for an opportunity to strike. This world is full of ditches of so-called distress and happiness, and there are many ferocious animals always ready, always ready to attack. The fire of lamentation is always blazing, and the mirage of false happiness is always alluring but one has no shelter from them. Thus, foolish persons live in the cycle of birth and death, always overburdened in discharging their so-called duties, and we do not know when they will accept the shelter of your lotus feet. Purport. Persons who are not in Krishna consciousness are living a very precarious life, as described in this verse. But all these circumstantial conditions are due to forgetfulness of Krishna. 
The Krishna consciousness movement is meant to give relief to all these bewildered and distressed persons. Therefore, it is the greatest relief work for all human society. And the workers thereof are the greatest well-wishers, for they follow in the footsteps of Lord Chaitanya, who is the greatest friend to all living entities. Jaya Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadatara Shri Vasadi Gaura Bhaktivrinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 One second. Hare Krishna. Okay, so... With your blessings, we'll explore this verse. This is a series of prayers. Uh, each verse, actually, as far as I, I saw, was from a different person. This is actually a verse spoken by Siddhasya, which means everyone who was there, the general members of the assembly. And they're all offering slightly different perspectives, these prayers. This one is uh, pointing out the unlimited problems of material existence. And how people who are stuck in that are facing all these different problems with no solution. And how the only shelter, the only solution is to take shelter of Krishna. But the assembly notes that they don't know when that will happen. So I was thinking about this um, observation of the devotees about the suffering that's built right into the material world. And how the devotees understand that very clearly from their own experience and also from the Shastra. And they see how others are suffering in that and they want that to be alleviated. They want those people to take shelter of Krishna. Um, in the material world and material consciousness, most people aren't aware of the nature of the world. It's um, with no solution in hand, it's actually overwhelming. It's intellectually overwhelming. It's mentally overwhelming too. The intelligence and in one's emotional and mental systems just recoil in horror from the nature of the world if we don't actually have an understanding of Krishna consciousness. But some people do understand that the world is full of suffering. And actually, everyone understands sometimes. This is what is called the Shmashana Vairagya. Shmashana means the crematorium, the place of ashes. Uh, when someone dies, when you go to the crematorium, when you go to the graveyard, when you've just suffered a loss and the loss is acute, there is a clearer understanding of the grim nature of material life. And some people live in that all the time. Those people are not happy people. Uh, I can think of a few people who have taken up the profession of uh, professional comedians, whose job it is to look very closely at the ridiculous nature of the material life that people live in and ascribe great value to and point out the fallacies in that. Generally, unfortunately, those persons don't have any solution because they don't actually have any bhakti. They don't actually practice devotional service. And so they're not actually very happy people, although they make people laugh. They're actually not happy people themselves. Um, there's a disproportionately high rate of suicide, for example, mental illness. Philosophers, famously Nietzsche, with his penetrating intelligence, uh, went mad. He also said that uh, before he went mad, be careful not to stare into the abyss because it stares back at you. I'm paraphrasing that if you look too closely, you can become overwhelmed with the uh, the 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 difficulties of material life. So the devotees are different than that, however. We don't look in that way. Sometimes Srila Prabhupada or his purports or Krishna himself, uh, other devotees are accused of being pessimistic about material life. 
This is a relative consideration from the perspective of those who are actually falsely optimistic. Um, when you're hellbent on actually enjoying material life and you don't actually have any other way of living, there's no alternative for you. It's pretty painful to hear about um, the, 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 the actual reality. But this samadhi of the devotee, their actual uh, experience of Krishna consciousness is not like that of the sarcastic uh, comedian or the intellectually penetrating philosopher, because those persons are approaching the Gyan platform without the austerities and without the purity of intelligence. They're trying to actually perform Gyan, which is not a natural condition. Klesho tikhtarastesham avyakta, forget the rest of the verse, but Krishna says in 12.5 that it's unnatural, actually. It's unnatural. The impersonal path is unnatural. The Gyan Yoga one has to undertake to follow that is also unnatural. And the devotees aren't like that. So I was remembering, for example, Srila Prabhupada. I heard this one story from a devotee who served him very closely. Uh, in Hawaii, Srila Prabhupada would write extensively and he would take a, a nap in the afternoon, a short nap. He didn't sleep very much at all. And this devotee would um, very aggressively take the opportunity to wake up Srila Prabhupada. Aggressively means he would actually like stop other devotees whose service it was. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be the first person to see Srila Prabhupada when Srila Prabhupada woke up. So he did this several times. He was very like in the proximity of Srila Prabhupada. He was a senior devotee. And he said that Every time he did, first of all, when he entered the room, the room always had a very uh, different kind of atmosphere to it than any other experience. You know, when you walk into a room with someone sleeping, actually you're associating with the mode of ignorance when there's a material experience of sleep. Uh, but he said it was, it was sur surcharged, the room was surcharged. And Prabhupada would awaken, he would come to external consciousness and according to this devotee, Srila Prabhupada would immediately begin preaching to himself, to the devotee. He would immediately begin, begin saying, therefore, Srila Prabhupada Maharaj is saying, they are just like fools and rascals. He would quote these chapters of Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, and he would start going right away into the nature of the Goralila. He immediately went into this preaching mission. There was no gap. And this devotee's realization was he didn't understand what Srila Prabhupada was experiencing um, internally in his sleep. He didn't understand what was going on in his heart with Krishna and Goloka Vrindavan. But it was clear that Srila Prabhupada was always deeply attached to the, the mission of Lord Chaitanya and was always associating with him in that way. That was the external manifestation of Lord Chaitanya's mission. And that was the external manifestation of Srila Prabhupada's samadhi. So this samadhi is what Srila Prabhupada himself calls practical samadhi. In reference to book distribution, Srila Prabhupada called this practical samadhi because in this age, we can't go and live in a cave and realize Krishna that way. So our acharyas have recommended practical samadhi. And it's practical because it engages our external propensities. We use our senses, we use our hands, we use all of our vision, hearing, everything else, move around, lift things. And it also engages our emotional life. So in this verse, we're hearing the members of the assembly talk about how they don't know when foolish persons who are stuck in this material existence will take shelter of Krishna. When will that happen? This vision is the vision of the Sankirtan devotee. Um, I wrote recently, two articles uh, for the newsletter, not really articles, just short blurbs. And one was about helping others to help yourself. And one was about helping yourself to help others. These principles are related. And we've talked about them in other classes that if you want to make advancement in your own spiritual life, one of the best things you can do is actually go out of your way to help others. This principle is there even in material life when somebody is depressed or anxious, there's good research that if they actually are engaged in helping other people who are unfortunate, either 
in the way that they're unfortunate or in some other way. It takes the mind off of their own problems. Actually, one of the, one of the ways that um, material existence is made worse is by self-absorption because the living entity has problems in the material world, just as a category to have many different kinds of problems, capital P. One of those problems is also to be self-absorbed, to be overly concerned with their own situation and not realizing or caring about what's going on around them. And if one has that, it makes all their other problems appear really, really big. And one becomes obsessed with the suffering and one can actually just fall down into a downward spiral. But just stepping out of that, even temporarily, helps because it puts things into perspective that, yeah, I'm suffering, but so are other people. And I'm getting something by helping others. And Krishna talks about this, actually. He talks about this even in the 10th canto. The 10th canto, which is all about his personal form, his beautiful qualities, his pastimes, his eternal associates, his... Uh, Shama Gopa Rupa, his form as the dark uh, cowherding boy. Still, there's some very practical things, even for persons on the material level. He says, there's a verse here, I can find it, 102235. He says, it is the duty of every living being to perform welfare activities for the benefit of others with his life wealth, intelligence, and words. This is four things. Use your life, your actual prana, your artha, your wealth, your dhyā, your ability to, to understand, your intelligence, and your words to help others. This is the duty of every living entity. And he talks to, uh, this way in reference to the trees of Vrindavan. He's glorifying them because trees give everything. They give their entire life. You can cut down a tree and use its bark, its sap, its wood, its twigs, its leaves, it just keeps giving. It gives its own shadow, it's beneficial for others. And Krishna glorified these trees because they're actually fulfilling that function of giving. That's our actual nature. Uh, Balgopal Prabhu started his class yesterday. Uh, no, it was actually later in the class. In, answer, in answering to a question, he said, quoted this famous verse that, the Krishnader Nityadas, that the, nat the eternal nature of the living entity, das, is das, is to be a servant of Krishna. We're actually little givers. We're actually meant to give. And this verse by Krishna, the 10th canto, can be understood even in the very basic level that if your life is directed toward helping others, it's harmonious with God's intention for you. And if you're not, then you're working against that. You're working, trying to swim against the current. It's going to be unnatural. So we talked about in this article that if you help others, you help yourself. And Krishna also specifies the best way to do that in the Bhagavad Gita. He says, yeah. For one who explains this supreme secret Bhagavad Gita to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed. And at the end, he will come back to me. There is no servant in this world more dear to me than he, nor will there ever be one more dear. That of all the people who are trying to do something for others, which is our nature, so everyone's doing that in one way or another, the best servant, he says, is the one who's trying to actually spread Krishna consciousness. So this is the practical application for us, that we want to advance ourselves. So even at that level, if we help others to advance, we help ourselves. And similarly, if we want others to help to be helped, we have to invest in ourselves. We actually become better at helping others by looking very carefully at our, our sadhana and managing it, improving it, looking at our own subtle body, seeing the faults that are there, and developing compassion for others because of that. Krishna mentions this in the sixth chapter, text 32. He says that... Uh, Let's see if I can remember how the verse goes. 632. He is a perfect yogi who by comparison to his own self sees the true equality of all beings in both their happiness and distress, O Arjuna. So in today's verse, 
we heard about happiness and distress in a couple different ways. The assembly says the world is full of ditches, of so-called distress and happiness, and also compares distress to a fire that's always blazing and happiness to a mirage, an always alluring false image. They're ditches because they actually trap you. When one is stuck in distress, it's difficult to move. And when one gets into material happiness, it's also difficult to make progress. But Krishna is saying in this verse that the perfect yogi, Siyogi Parama, the perfect best yogi is the one who sees other living entities in comparison to their own happiness and distress. So this internal reflection the devotee has, working on themselves, applying that humility, applying that analysis, seeing their own faults, trying to address them, and being aware of their own fallen nature, where they came from. It is said in just a common phrase that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And the devotee actually exemplifies that because while saintly, they may not believe that about themselves, but devotees are actually saintly, increasingly so. They understand their own past. And they look at others and they see, while these persons are actually doing horrible, useless things, they actually have a potential. And that comparison is actually very powerful. That self-reflection empowers their preaching. It gives practical realization of what this world is like and how one can become waylaid by the dual ditches, the two different kinds of holes that one gets stuck in of distress and happiness. Material happiness and material distress are both equally binding. And when the devotee sees that, they actually become aware of how they've been doing that, getting stuck in these ways. They develop specific realization of how, according to their own experience in time, place, and circumstance, and then they actually become empowered to talk about that and convince others that, you know what, I know what you're going through. I've also gone through it. Sometimes I'm still going through it. And this is what it's like. And here's a solution for you. And that's a message that people need to hear. They need to hear it, actually. There's no other solution than to hear from a devotee who has that realization of what the world is like. They're not just a clever comedian. They're not just an angry philosopher. They're not Friedrich Nietzsche on their way to suicide or death in an insane asylum. They're actually aware poignantly of how painful material nature is. And they're aware of the solution. And they're applying it themselves. They're applying it themselves. Therefore, their words have potency and their example has potency because they actually exemplify. They show to some degree freedom from the modes of nature. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 14, after describing at length what the modes of nature are like and all the different ways and combinations and combinatorics and permutations of the ways they bind us. He, he in answer to Arjuna's question, he gives only one verse saying how to get free. If you just engage in service to me, you transcend that. Devotees experience that actually. Even at the very neophyte platform, they experience that temporarily. And when others see a devotee, they see somebody who to some degree is free from the modes of nature for some time to some level of quality compared to themselves who are literally never free from the modes of nature. In the material world, people are not free from the modes of nature. They're literally always bound by some combination. So while we have a realization of their suffering, they have a realization of our liberation. And that combination just coming in touch with us purifies them, uplifts them, and gives them a chance and an impetus, especially if they're a little pious, if they've done some service, to actually engage in the real solution, Krishna Bhakti. So the members of the assembly are saying these two things. There's so much suffering in the world, and persons are not taking shelter. And we understand ourselves from our own experience what suffering is in the material world and how to get free. And there's this kind of two sides of the same coin type of existence that devotees have. They understand suffering, they understand their own conditioned nature and they use that to fuel their practice and to help others. They also use their practice of Sankirtan outreach to fuel their own Krishna consciousness. 
when one deals with doubts and questions that others have, it makes oneself more serious to ask themselves what the answer is and then to dive into the books, to dive into the Shastra, dive into chanting Hare Krishna. And when one um, sees their own absolute need for Krishna consciousness, then they feel, they feel great compassion for others. In one conversation with Harvey Prabhu, famously quoted in many places by devotees, Srila Prabhupada defines humility. Harvey Prabhu asked Srila Prabhupada, what does humility mean? And Srila Prabhupada said, roughly speaking, humility means to understand without any doubt, with total clarity, that nothing, no money, no person, no possession, nothing at all, will ever save me except Krishna's mercy. And the progressing devotee has an increasing realization of that as they're situated in Krishna's mercy and as they let go of all the other different things they've been trying to take shelter of, which have systematically and with a hundred percent rate failed them, they realize that and they become humble. So these two things are working side by side for the devotees. So those are some thoughts on the essential nature of living entity is to give with their life, wealth, intelligence, and words. How if one does that in relationship to Krishna consciousness, one becomes actually the most dear to Krishna. And how by focusing on ourselves, we become better at focusing on others. And by focusing on others, we become better at focusing on our own spiritual advancement. Um, those are some thoughts and reflections. Also a little bit, we talked about practical samadhi, how the pure devotee like Srila Prabhupada is always in practical samadhi. Um, he didn't wander around talking about Krishna Lila as much as he wandered around, you could say wander in the sense of Parivajgacharya, going from place to place for Krishna's service, talking about the problems of the world, relatable things, the birth, death, disease, and old age of this world in detail, and then the solution particularly the primary things of chanting Hare Krishna, reading, associating with devotees, taking prasadam, like that. So we have some time. It's 840 or so. We can reflect back, take questions, comments. And I also, specifically, if devotees would like to talk about their own experience of what it's like to have these two things, uh, to be able to introspect and see one's own material suffering, and what that does in terms of creating a sense of compassion or outreach, and also what it does for us to perform outreach for our own self. So what does it do when we help others? How does that help us? Just to solidify and get some realization on these points that I'm making, which um, I'm sure you can all prove with your own words, practically. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much. So anything that you'd like to reflect back or comment now? Prabhu, I really like the point that you made in the beginning um, of how, like Srila Prabhupada says that anyone who's not absorbed in basically in Krishna consciousness is living a precarious life. So that's in the purport. But you made the point that we also need to be absorbed emotionally in Krishna consciousness because um, personhood includes the emotions. So <clears throat> I thought that was a really good point how um, even like you're bringing up the example of Nietzsche and how and how if, if we're not actually absorbing our emotions and our emotional self isn't also being absorbed in Christian consciousness then it's not a complete it's not a complete path really so I, I appreciate that point and then just the analogy of the ditches of happiness and distress reminds me of this um, there's actually a story that Dr. John Dyer tells and he gave some he was doing some workshop and he was he told everyone to write like in short form the story of their their chapters of their life and one woman wrote it's it's really short but I thought it was interesting I can read it um chapter one I walk down the street there's a deep hole in the sidewalk I fall in I'm lost I'm helpless it isn't my fault it takes forever to find a way out Chapter two, I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. 
I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. Can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three, I walk down the same street. There's a hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five, I walk down another street. Nice. So I was just thinking like, um, I've, I'm not sure exactly who the, you know, the author was thinking what the ditch is, but the hole is, but this is a good analogy for the ditches of material distress and happiness because we fall into these ditches. And like you were asking, for the devotee who's already on the path of Christian consciousness, when we do find ourselves in in somewhat of a ditch, because we've pretty most of us have taken a, another street. Um, but what it does, it reminds us of the experience of those ditches. And because we have an experience of happiness that's not the material happiness, we have an experience of happiness, of freedom from both of those things, then then we can also remember the pain and want to help others mm. if they're open if they're open to take another street thank you yeah um yeah on that point of precarious probably uses the word precarious material life uh, persons who are not in krishna consciousness are living a very precarious life i looked up precarious means not securely held or in position, dangerously likely to fall or collapse. Dependence on chance, uncertain. You mentioned um, in relationship to precariousness, the necessity of engaging ourselves emotionally. And I was thinking, if you look at the definition of precarious, dependence on chance, so the mind is so fickle, you know, our emotional life, if it's not directed, it's just going to be like, is powerful force that depending on chance, how you feel on any given time, any given day, takes you in one direction or another. Um, I was thinking about in relationship to the points I made in, in, the, in the class that Sankirtan consciousness, Krishna consciousness in the line of uh, Mahaprabhu, particularly Srila Prabhupada gave it, is very emotionally engaging actually, because we, we come into the world with so many attachments, especially in this age, you know, there's no like born yogis practically um, who start from zero. There's just all these negative things that are going to drag us down to another birth. But by engaging our attachments to other people, for example, which is one of the most powerful things, we actually make advancement as long as we do that in yukta and in, in, in a yogic way in, in the form of, well, I care about these people. So I actually serve them as devotees. I care about people. I have uh you know blood relatives that are important to me because i still haven't actually fully realized the fact that i'm not this body i haven't fully realized that every single living entity even the coronavirus is is part and parcel of krishna i i happen to care more about the people who are related to me and have my last name or whatever my eye color um so i engage them in krishna service in different ways and by doing that there are very safe ways to engage the emotion. The grahasta ashram is meant for that. And if you're not a grahasta, you're also meant to uh, just see the world as your family, to engage that propensity, to actually care and to see yourself as part of the community and use that in Krishna consciousness. So all these different ways in which emotionally we become entangled life after life are very, very practical to, to use. And that, that way we're not depending on our, our mind to be um, under control that's not the point. The point is not to be under control. The point is to be applied in Krishna consciousness. And then Krishna applies the control. That's our best chance. So thank you. Yes, anything else? Someone just said to me today, and it, it said, I hear it pretty often, just reflections about having children that, you know, if it weren't for the children, I wouldn't try this hard to be a good person or if it weren't for the children, I wouldn't stay, I wouldn't really try to stay, stay with my spouse or, you know, and so it just, it just goes to that point that you're saying that um, when we're, when we're helping others, uh, that the, um, when we're helping others, when we have that accountability, 
It helps us. And when we help ourselves, yeah. it's them. And that's Krishna's arrangement. And you look at the world, I mean, in the animal kingdom, everyone is pairing off. And among human beings, practically everyone is pairing off. And uh, the, na the nature of it is that it's meant to increasingly give you a sense of responsibility because the living entity is basically self-centered. And we talked a little bit about how, about how being self-centered blows your own happiness and distress way out of proportion. So you're not like pleased and, and pleasantly happy. You're manic and you're not actually like sober and sometimes a little unhappy. You're just completely depressed and horrifyingly like suicidal. It's just these crazy selfish experiences that don't really connect to anyone else's well-being at worst. And then you dedicate yourself, hopefully you become dedicated, commit yourself to one other person and you have a responsibility. Then you have children and there's a better, bigger responsibility. Um, I know so many people, I think I mentioned this in a class recently, so many people from my generation who were just painfully selfish people growing up. And as soon as they had kids, they just transformed. Just to some degree, they're not, you know, great saints, but you know, material nature said, now you really care about someone else. I'm going to make you care about someone else. And you're going to learn what it's like to be responsible for them and to take responsibility. And the only way you can be free of that responsibility is if you actually take responsibility in the spiritual sphere, because that's our nature. We actually have to care. Uh, we actually have to give. So one way or another, uh, by our own spiritual advancement or by material nature, we'll be prodded into a situation of being responsible for others and we'll, we'll realize the lessons we have to learn. So that agenda, that curriculum, Krishna's the best teacher. He's setting us on this clear curriculum and you can either embrace the lesson and then you're one of the students who's getting along with the teacher, you'll get extra help, they'll make eye contact, they'll come after class, they'll give you extra hours to help you out or you can be a troublemaker, which means you gotta go on timeout. You miss recess, you miss a snack and you just drag your feet and you're, you're studying at the last minute because you didn't actually do your homework and it's a terrible, miserable condition. Material nature is gonna do that to you. You're gonna be forced to learn the same lesson, but it's a lot more painful. So better to, uh, better to do it voluntarily. Anyone else? Comments, questions, reflections? I know Mother Ninja is gonna have something. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. So I was just thinking of um, a, a personal situation where, like you were talking about, how you uh, benefit from going out and distributing the holy names and prasadam and books to others, and then how. Uh, Others benefit from your own uh, sadhana and, you know, introspection and reflections. So uh, the first year that I went to Mayapur when uh, Prabhupada was still on the planet, um, everyone was uh, pretty excited. And I was thinking, okay, now it's time to go and, um, you know, we'll be doing... Nagar Sankirtan all over all the islands, <laughs> nine islands, and um, somehow or other uh, distributing uh, whatever we were given to distribute the holy names and pamphlets and prasadam. And so then, uh, due to circumstances, at that time, you know, there was no bottled water or <laughs> anything. So, and somehow or other, there was no real communication about what taps you do not drink from. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Anyway, it was not, it was not well communicated. And many, many devotees were very sick with dysentery, and I was one of them. Hare Krishna. So... So anyway, the, the whole, you know, idea of, um, you know, this great Nagar Sankirtan and <laughs> anyway, uh, so it became um, 
reflection time. <laughs> Everybody's so sick and just um, taking time to reflect and, um, and really get anxious about uh, getting better and helping others. <laughs> so, uh, so that situation was, um, it was a big challenge for a lot of devotees. Uh, they couldn't even, some of them, get off the floor. And, and they'd gone to Mayapur to, you know, enthusiastically participate in Sankirtan. And then when they got back to the West to be able to, you know, share the overflow and all of that. Well, didn't really happen in exactly that way. But like you were saying, if you um, go through your personal... Um, reflections and things like that you can really help the souls so much by your own personal experiences and your own suffering and um, so that was a, a really um, poignant experience for so many of us and it, it, it helped us to see that Sometimes you have to uh, experience a lot of uh, so-called suffering in order to help the suffering of others. <laughs> Thank you. I like what you said at the very end, that sometimes you have to experience so much suffering or so-called suffering in order to help alleviate the suffering of others. That's one of the great benedictions of Krishna consciousness is that it, it puts all of our suffering in context. Um, you know, if someone had told me when I was going through whatever I was going through in my material life before Krishna consciousness, actually, everything you're going through right now is going to make you qualify to help other people who are going through the same thing later. If I could have understood that, it would have helped me. The reality is that that's actually a fact for because of Krishna consciousness, that suffering takes on meaning. Otherwise, it's, it's basically meaningless. The suffering and happiness of the material world are essentially meaningless if they're not connected to some spiritual advancement they're just by chance not really I mean, they're, they're karmic but they're, they don't actually amount to anything they're coming and going so um yeah and as far as suffering in the dom with illness and so forth it's an amazing thing because it's it sounds like yeah i know what that's like oh you know dysentery i don't want to have that but what whatever happens in the dom is such an amazing thing you know the the subtle body gets purified and amazing sometimes it's it's physical illness sometimes it's your false ego flares up sometimes uh whatever maybe i've I've heard from so many devotees i had to have my own experiences and i know you do too mother nidra that when you're in the dom there's just this way that the, the spiritual energy the yoga maya works on you so we know that those devotees who went there and got dysentery and didn't get to do what they wanted to do still made tremendous spiritual advancement because that's what the, the Dham is going to do to you. The Yoga Maya is going to connect you. Especially if your intention is to serve Krishna, you go in there with that. So thank you. I, I, I was, I had one more thing I was thinking too, that um, uh, the last few days I haven't been able to taste or smell anything. And the first day that I realized it was, I was making breakfast for the, the, the kids. And they and later they were like, Mom, this is like really you put a lot of spices in this. And I was like, Really? I can't taste them at all. And, like, <laughs> and then we were like, Oh, okay. But I was thinking of this that that the um the impersonalist impersonalist philosophers once sort of removed the the mm. taste of the experience and uh and not taste it. However, Krishna consciousness is that we taste it like with prashad, like I'm, I'm like eating prashad and I only taste the texture. Like I was, I've been joking with the kids like, well, the texture tastes really good. <laughs> you know, like I can't taste this thing at all, but the texture is pretty good. So, and like, and how disappointing it is, is that, you know, when we take prashad, we can't taste it. So to be able to, to keep our senses but actually engage them in a, a spiritual way. How how wonderful that is! That the yeah. consciousness. Yeah. Therefore, uh, it's a little bit of a pungent comment by by um, 
Vrindavanas Thakur, but he refers in the Chaitanya Bhagavat to the impersonalists as spiritual eunuchs because they actually falsely remove themselves from reality. You know, if, if you can't taste anything, you lose your sense of smell, you lose your sensibility, your sens sensitivity. You can imagine if somebody is like very insensitive um, to the world around them, they can't respond to that world and they can't, they can't share a deep experience. But if somebody is actually um, aware of whatever through any of the senses, they actually, um, they have qualities. Just like they can bring out the different qualities in, in food, they can bring out the different qualities of emotional experience and they can connect all those different experiences that people have in material consciousness to, um, to a meaningful goal because otherwise you can't relate, you can't relate to people when they're suffering. Somebody's insensitive, they cease to be relevant and the, their practice ceases to be relevant. Their tradition ceases to be relevant. It's not engaged in the world at all. Um, it becomes pie in the sky. So it's, it's, so, it's, such a, it's, it's such a wonderful thing that devotees have um, sensitivity in their practice. You know, there are devotees who like are expert in cooking wonderful things for Krishna and beautiful kirtaniyas. And um, it's not even so much about the technique, although that's nice. It's about the desire to please through a certain avenue and becoming sensitive in that. Um, that actually, it, it, it pays off. People notice that. They notice that you actually have something, some way that you can feel that's spiritual. And, oh, that's a devotee who does this. That's a devotee who, you know, is good at that. And that sensitivity shines through. That's like, this is kind of like connecting medium for the devotee back to Krishna through their bhakti. And then when people come in touch with them. They, they also become connected by that. Yeah. It's nine o'clock. Any final words? Okay. Well, it was my pleasure and privilege to, uh, to be with all of you. Thank you so much. Um, and Hopefully I'll, by your mercy, practice some of what I'm talking about in my own spiritual life. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai. Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Jai. Vaan Chakalpa Tirupyascha Kripasin Tivivacha Patitanam Pavani Pyo Hare Krishna. So there's an eclipse of the sun today. It's rather inauspicious. Um, in an inauspicious year.